0: We are excited. So again, if you have your Bible open up with me, the book of Jude, let me read the first few verses because early on, you see, it's a book that gets straight to the point. It gets straight to the point. It doesn't kind of do do a lot of dancing. He gets in and he lets us know. Jude is very specific. Jude chapter one, or verse one, it says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a bondservant, a doulos, one that is willing. You got to understand that Jude was not. Um, He didn't get saved until after um, Jesus was resurrected and he saw the resurrected king. So a servant, even though half brother of Jesus, a servant of Jesus and a brother of James, to those who are called. This book was written to the church. Right. To those who are called, loved by God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace. Um, and that love be multiplied to you. And then right here, he, that's his introduction. He then gets into the meat of what he's going to talk about. And in verse three and four, he basically says, there's a problem. There's a problem, and let's just jump right into it, and let's not act like there's not a problem. Let's jump, let's just get into it. It says this, dear friends, dear friends. So he's talking to a, a, a bunch of believers. He's talking to a church, right? And, you know, what's interesting about it is that many speculation is he talking to this kind of the global church or is he talking to the local church? Right, And then um, I believe that this letter was written to a specific local congregation, that this wasn't just a letter that was going to be circulated throughout all, even though we know that many letters were circulated around after. But this letter was writing to a specific church in a specific place at a specific moment because there were some specific things happening at this church. What was happening? He says, dear friends, although... I was eager to write to you about about the salvation that we share. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth, they are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ our Lord and only Master or Master and Lord, and so right here, what we see in the very first four verses um, of the Book of Jude, he gives us the, the the understanding, the importance, the reason why he wrote this book. Right, you know, I like Jude. I, I love. Um, the series that we went through because the series we went through is a to chance to talk about our DNA. It's the series that we're gonna just, just share all of what God is doing and, and how God calls us. And then oftentimes it can be really abstract right? It could be really abstract about what we're talking about, right? You know, and we can talk about the gospel changes people and people change the world and, you know, and we want to be gospel-centered believers and we can just talk about just what God calls us to be. We can stay in kind of that vision, stay in our aspirational. And and this is basically how Jude starts off this letter. He says, listen, I desire to come to you and just talk about all the good things. I I desire to come up and to say, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Like, I wish we could just, that would be what church is all about. And we just kept saying that back and forth. And that was what it was about. That's what I would love to do. But he says, but I found it necessary. I found it necessary to talk about something different. And even though I want it to be about all cookies and cream and all fun things, there's some important things that is ravaging the church. And there's some important things that has impacted. There's a problem that we had to address, right? And And in there, basically what he says is, is that because of this problem, I'm coming to you and I'm going to make an appeal to you. I'm going to appeal to you that you would contend, contend for the faith that was once given to us from, that was handed down to us from the beginning, right? So he says, this appeal, this request, this ask is coming as an appeal to us because there's problems there's pain pain that I've experienced pain that you've experienced and that we this is a pain that we all can relate to and this is a pain that I feel like that the church right now is going through right now that this is a letter to the church but this is a letter about the impact of those who have left the church the impact because whether it's mentors parents children siblings roommates best friends cousins Disciplers, disciplees, seminarians, pastors, deacons, professors, whether it's hip hop artists, Christian poets, people that we have held in high regard, people that we have both looked up to and people that we have admired, right? People that we love, people that we've trusted, people that we've done ministry with, people that we've sat in the seats with, people that we've heard. You know, all these people, all these different types of people, over the last few years, there has been since a, a sense that more and more of those people have said, "I'm no longer a Christian. I'm no longer walking with Jesus. I'm no longer in the faith. I no longer." And even for the and for even for some that they have now redefined um, Christianity as a churchless Christianity. I'm still good with God, but I don't want to have to do with any of his people. I really don't do with any of his word. And sometimes what we've seen and that you and I have all felt with and we have hit with and we have dealt um, with is that many, most, a lot of people are going through this phase of deconstructing. People are decolonizing. People are doing a whole bunch of things and there's nothing wrong with necessarily deconstructing or even decolonizing. The problem is, is that most people who are deconstructing and decolonizing their faith, the problem is that they're just not reconstructing anything and they're not using the Bible to do it. And so what ends up happening is that most of these people who start believing in kind of the spirituality are even leaving the faith altogether and just basically like redefining the faith where there is no authority. There's no sense of God. And this is what I believe what we see in the, in the text. In the text, basically, at the very beginning, he says, for some people who have been designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our Lord and sensuality. But what this is the issue. They are denying Jesus Christ, our only master and our only Lord. You see, but this is, again, this is not a message primarily for those that have been outside the church, those who are, that have deconstructed their faith and that have left the faith. This Jew is saying that, listen, I wanted to write about our common salvation, but I've found it necessary that I contend because here's the, here's the reality. The reality is that their departure has impacted us. It's impacted my own faith. It's impacted my own trust in the Lord. I started even questioning my own beliefs, my own doubts, my own things, my own thoughts, right? And what we've seen is this reality of Jude says, we have to address the issue. We have to address the issue. That's right in front of us. Did you know that Barna Group, the Barner Group has done a survey, and it says one out of three practicing Christians, one out of three, 33% of practicing Christians pre-COVID are no longer attending any church, going to any church. That's 33% has dropped out of church, completely out of church. Another poll, Gallup um, poll says, church church membership for the first time in U.S. history dropped under 50%. For the first time in U.S. history, right? The impact that we're all going through is significant is significant. And according to um, again Barna, he says that people who have stopped tending churches, they're not more healthy, but research is they're more insecure, they're more anxious than those that have stayed. And that anxious that anxiety, that things that that has impacted you and I, that has impacted us. This the, the, there are so many emotional costs for people, for us. You know, as we have wrestled with this reality that we have. And so Jude comes in and says, hey, there is a problem. And so he comes in and he says, let me make an appeal to you. And my appeal is that you would contend, contend, fight for the faith. We're going to get back to that word contend because that's the solution that we see. There's only one verb that's an imperative in all the first 11 verses. And You can go back and you can reread it. There's only one verb that's, that's a call. That's the appeal. And that one word is, a, is to contend. It is to contend. But he lets us know, and he first says, "Like let's, let me kind of break down this, what's going on. In verse 5, he says, Now, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not even keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the day of. For the, for the judgment on that great day. He says, likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and served as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. As there was a one word answer, and that one word answer is simply to contend, what's the one word problem? And the one word problem that I would wanna to suggest to you is apostasy. Apostasy. So the, that's a five cents word, you know. And what what does that mean? What does apostasy mean? Apostasy means simply the abandonment or the renunciation of your faith or religion. Is it simply the abandonment or the renunciation of your faith or religion? And so ultimately, what is Jude saying? What is Jude identifying as the problem? I and mean, I just really believe Jude ultimately is saying that when people you look up to and love commits apostasy, it not only disrupts them, but it disrupts you and me. It disrupts everybody's faith. It disrupts the whole family. You see, and so in here, basically what Jew talks about is that he gives us, and he gives us a set of series of trios, right? He gives us three, verses 5 through 7. He gives us a trio of things. And then verses 8 through 11, he gives us another trio of things. And then 12, he gives us another trio of things, 12 and following. And so he, in this trio of things that he's given us, he's basically saying like there's a kind of a progression. There's a reason why things, are, things are, have, have happened. And so in that first five through seven, if you just want to put a word down there, basically you what you see is this idea of departed. Departed, right? And so this idea that you they, they had a group of people who had firm foundation, who started off strong, but somehow they lost their way. Somehow they lost their way. And what, what did he, um, what example, what three Old Testament examples did he give to illustrate this point? first. He's talked about, he was referring to unbelieving Israel. He talked about the rebellious angels. He talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. But then in there, he said, but I also want to remind you that although you came to know all of these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt, but he later destroyed those who did not believe. Somehow we sing the song that we are all prone to wonder. We're all like sheep, right? We all have that tendency to leave. And so what we see is that here we have Israel. I mean, we have basically these three examples that he gets out and just talks about like the, the impact of people who have abandoned the truth that they once believed. And he started off with Israel. And he said, Israel, and if you remember Israel, specific, specifically in the wilderness in Kadesh Barnea. And if you, you can go back and read it, it's in Numbers chapter 14, in Numbers chapter 14, basically, you had a time when Moses got up and he was sending the 12 spies out um, to all to, to survey the land. They went out and surveyed the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to them. They came back and they was just like, the land is all what God said it was going to be. And guess what? We got the fruit to show it. Right. He says, but there is a problem. There's giants in the land. And then basically, um, long story short, when it ended up happening, they were just like, and if we go, hey, we're going to die, so we don't need to go, right? And so basically only two out of, out of the 12 spies said, no, let's trust God and let's continue to go. And then basically they decided not to go. God was vexed. He was just like, I'm, I'm tired. I've seen, I've shown you all that I was going to do, all that I've done in the wilderness with the seas. With the... And he says, now all the decision makers, anybody at the age of 21 and older, you're not going in, right? I'm going to take your kids. Right, And then basically, um, they didn't like it. They rebelled. It was like, oh, we're sorry, God, let us go. They didn't make it, right? 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, 40 years. Then he talked about the wilderness rebellion, these people wandering in the wilderness. Then he goes on, he talks about in Genesis chapter six, he said there, in Genesis chapter six, we see basically these angels, that these angels that they had um, this place with God, And that um, because of sin, because they wanted power, they ended up getting cast down. And now we see what's taking place: that they were they were abandoned their post from the presence of God, and now they're standing apart from God. Another example: we won't go into all, but then we also have Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham and Lot, they're at you know they got Abraham tells Lot, hey, choose any direction you want to go right? Here's this man that was raised by, um, by Abram. He got all of, He understood the ways of the Lord. He was there. He had a position. And then what he ended up doing, he chose Sodom. And then we see him a couple of chapters later, just ashamed of the people of God, right? And so over and over again, what we've seen is that he gives us three examples of people who have wandered from their truth, who started off strong, but somehow lost their way. They, they had a strong beginning, but somehow found themselves in another place it, you know, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm not a fan of this story, but it, it kind of reminded me of my one time that I ran the 800. I've I, I shared that with some of you guys before, but it was, you know, I was an athlete and I considered myself to be an athlete growing up in, um, you know in school my dad played pro football and I was just like I'll play football basketball and all the things and you know and then if you know kind of sports what you recognize is that you know there's three seasons right there's the the fall there's the winter then there's the spring and I was just like what am I what is an athlete supposed to do in winter season right and so uh, not in winter season in the spring season and I was like I don't want to play baseball and all my friends did track so I was like I'll do track but the problem was I didn't really have a in track i wasn't fast enough like you know and i ended up doing the high jump right and the high jump was just like if you know you're there all day and you just jump for like five or ten minutes you know and then you just you're done for the rest of the day and you're watching i was like i can't i gotta do something else this is ridiculous right and so so um one of my friends was in a very similar situation he was a a guy he was just like man i'm gonna try the 800 it was just like he so he went out and he tried the 800 and um he came out he had second place first time ever did it didn't compete, didn't train. And I was just like, I'm more of an athlete than he is. So if he can get the 800 and get second place, then of course I'll be able to do the same thing. And so here I am, I'm going in and I'm starting at the 800. And you know, what happened is that, you know, boom, the, the gun goes off and I'm going and I start off really strong. But And you see, you got to understand that in this, I recognize, I recognize that, listen, don't start too don't start too fast. Just stay up with the pack and just kind of go. And so I'm hitting around. I'm in my first 400, and then I hit that, that 500. And then all of a sudden, what began to begin, uh, begin uh, was a pack at first. All of a sudden, started disting themselves. And all of a sudden, while everybody else was going a little faster, I was going a little slower. See, they had another, they had another gear, and I was going slower. And so what happens? I'm running around the track, and I'm... And then my kind of trot became a slow jog, and my slow jog became a walk, and then my walk just kind of just kept on walking right off the track. (laughs) And so, and so, literally, I just like kind of walk off the track, and it's about I'm about in the five hundred, and I was like, I ain't no quitter, I ain't no good. Now by this time, because I didn't have this whole process in my mind, and so by this time I'm getting on, I'm just like, I can't quit, so I get back on the track. And I try to keep finishing my race, but by this time, you know, the next event is up, the hurdles is up, and people are just like waiting for me to put the next hurdle, and I became that dude that is like, come on, you can't do it. And so that was just the way of the saying of, you know, oftentimes there's many things that we can start off strong, but we didn't count the costs and then we weren't able to finish the race. You know, and so this is ultimately what is, is happening. That There was a group of people who started off strong, but somehow, for some reason, through the pain, through the hurt, through the, the, the tears, whatever, they just did not finish the race. And so he says, he gives us three examples, this trio of examples of people who started off strong. But then not only did he give us that, he also said not only have people wandered and they've lost their way, but some people's faith has been corrupted. Their faith has been compromised. And then we get the second trio of people. In verses 8 and through 11, he says this. He says, in the same way, so he's connecting it to the first set of people. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious ones. Yet, when the Michael, when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything, anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, they're like irrational animals. By these things, they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into the um, Balaam's era for profit and have perished in Korah's rebellion. And so what we see right here is that the first group of people lost their way, right? They, They departed and lost their way. The second group of people were corrupted and their faith was compromised. And I want you to recognize the progression here, the progression in verse eight, it says in the same way, these people. And what happened was, right? Remember in verse five, he says, they began to deny our Lord and our savior. How did they deny? It started off slow. It didn't start off with this big mouth rejection. What, what it started off with was simply they stopped relying on God's word. And what did they start relying on? Their dreams, their, their, their desires. They started, you know, they started doing things that sounded good to their flesh. I want it. God wants me to be happy. That's the most important thing, Right. And it began this kind of progression. And then they started rejecting the authority. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we said, hey, like, don't forsake the assembling, irritate one another. They were tired of getting irritated. I want to live my life. This God thing keeps getting in the way of my desires, right? And so they started drifting, right? And then what ended up happening, they started slandering the glorious one. It just became one of those things. you got to understand the progression It first started off with just simply stop listening and stop reading God's word. We stopped sitting under the authority of the scripture. And then what ended up happening was the recurrence of what we saw in the book of Judges. Each one did what was right in their own sight. At that time, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was just right in their own mind. Right? So it started off with just simply like and I want and I want what I want and I want that now. But then it just kind of moved to this slang like why do I not have to have sex outside of marriage? Who made up that rule? Is that an American thing? Is that a like a Christian thing? Why are people so And and, then Jesus says, listen, the problem is, is that you can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in self. You really can't serve God in anything because either you will love the one and you will despise. That word despise means that you will think little of. Like this Christian thing keeps me from being a good person, you know, getting that, that raise on my job. This Christian thing keeps on... You know, and it's just like we keep on stopping. So it's like, because it's just like this, these restrictions, this irritation is keeping me from doing and getting the things that I want. So it just starts off with just simply stop submitting. It leads to, you know, we start giving in to our pleasures. Then we say, well, I don't want any human authority. Right? No one can't tell me what to do. So, I'm not going to be a part of a local church or any type of thing. I don't need to be pastored. I don't need to be shepherd. I don't need any accountability. And then what it ends up is it's like, you know what, God? Do I even need Jesus? Do I even need Him? I can just be a good person. I just love people, take care of people. I can just be spiritual. Right. And that's what it, that's where it becomes. And see, the thing is that we've seen so many loved ones go through that progression. We've seen even ourselves go through that progression. And we found ourselves, but yet because of the grace of God and the kingdom of God and the people around us that said, no, when you're low, I'm going to be your strength and I'm going to push you and I'm going to help. And we allowed the irritation to keep us. And right now, what Jude is saying, that we are in that place where our, our faith can potentially be corrupted. And people will start believing. We'll start believing I really need the church. My my friend doesn't. We'll start justifying our behaviors. And and so Jude is saying, Listen, I desire to talk about how God, God, how good God is. I wanted to talk to you about how you know his love never fails. I wanted to talk about all those good things, but see, the problem is, is that. You're singing that song that his love never fails, but you're not believing it. You're not believing it right now. And so I'm going to make an appeal to you. Contend. Contend. He said the problem is the apostasy, but the apostasy just doesn't just affect the, those that, that have left. It also affects everybody. It affects you. It affects me. But also, so he says, listen, the solution, it's a one-word solution. The one-word solution is contend. It's contend. Because as in the same way we see that progression, right, that we saw. We saw the same progression. I won't go through them, but it says the progression of Cain. What was Cain? Cain was the person who changed. God says, this is what I want you to bring. He was just like, I don't want to sacrifice animals. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give you my best. Grain, Cain, any old offering is not good enough, right? I have, there's a certain way, right? So his faith got corrupted. Balaam, who was a prophet, God said, don't go with them, Balaam. But God, platforms, influence, stuff. I could do all these things. I only say what you say. Balaam, don't go with them. But God, you know, this is our opportunity. We can make this thing. All right, Balaam, go with him. God's mad, right? He's going down three times. Angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand, about to take him out. The donkey stops. I ain't going. Balaam, ashamed of everything, of how the world's going to see him. What does he start doing? He starts beating the donkey, right? Right? Do you see the progression, the things? And then the donkey says, hey, I've served you all these years. We've been good all this time. And now all of a sudden you're turning on me to look good for the world so you can succeed on their terms? And then the Lord opens his eyes. He opens his eyes. So he says, the way of Cain, the era of Balaam, the rebellion at Korah, right? Right after they said, like, you know, they came in, in Korah in and, and, um, Numbers chapter 22. Basically, 22 through 25, he says, like, listen, Moses, why do you think you all that? You guys are up there trying to always talk. Like, like, we all know God. We don't need you. And they want to start going their own way. And Moses basically goes to God. He's like, God. Do what you do. But in each one, what you saw was first people who departed their faith. And then the second one you saw people who slowly, they, they began to erode. Their faith was corrupted. Their faith was corrupted. This progression that we see. And he says, go, so he says, so what is the solution? The solution is that we would contend contend for a biblical faith. A faith that has been handed to us since the beginning. A faith that's submitted to the one Lord, the one Savior, Jesus. No matter how much we want it to be many ways to God, God said, I am the only way, the only truth. No man comes to the Father, except through me. So no, like our good intentions are are like, like, it doesn't matter. Christ has cornered the market. The only way we get God is through his son. And so this is the reason why he says, man, I wanted to write about all the good things. This is not the good message. I got a lot more amens when I was doing the last series. I kind of want to go back to that series. But he says, although I was eager to write to you about our salvation that we shared, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to don't give up. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. I know it's hard. Keep fighting. contend to the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. So he doesn't say, just don't fight for, for faith's sake. Fight for a faith that is trusting in what was delivered to us from the beginning. A faith that is grounded where we see that the word was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, fight, contend. But what I love is that word is that he uses a word, agonizomai, in the Greek. And then he one ups it, and he says, epa, agonizomai. That word agonizomai basically sends, we translated it, contend. But what the word means literally is agonize. Agonize is the very root word. But then when he adds the epi, Right? It's the same word that he had. In that time, there was a group called the Gnostics. And then they had the Gnostics, which was people said they had this higher knowledge. But then he was just like, Paul would use these words. He says, I would pray for epinosis, an epi knowledge, a higher knowledge. That's even above and beyond. And so right here where he says, contend, he says, I'm not just asking you, like I'm appealing you not just to contend, but I'm asking you to give it all. An epi. I needs the mind. Give it all, strive, fight with a level of intensity for a biblical faith, a faith that is handed out to us. You know, in our church, we say the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world. If you are here and you think that we have a new gospel, we don't. We have the same gospel, the same Bible that has been handed down to us. And here's the truth. We're At this church, we're gonna major on the majors. We talk about principle, prudence, and preference. Principle means, is there a biblical principle? And if there is a biblical principle, you have to give me a verse in Scripture. You gotta give me a verse in Scripture. Prudence means, hey, you know, it's wisdom, but I can't give you a verse in Scripture, right? principle, the Bible tells us, don't fornicate. The Bible is is clear. I can give you a verse in a scripture. Wisdom, don't cohabitate. Why? I can't give you a verse in scripture, but probably if you're cohabitating, you're fornicating. But I can't give you a verse in scripture. I can't give you something, but it's just wisdom throughout the years. Right Preference is, I kiss dating goodbye. I'm not even going to date anybody. That's your preference. Our problem is that we die on the heels of our preferences. Of our preferences. And not the biblical principles. God is saying, no. Like, hold on, fight, contend for the biblical faith that was once handed down to you. And he comes at it in, in a way that I believe is pastoral. You see, you can read this book And you can look at this book in a lot of different ways, and it has been taught in a lot of different ways. You can come at this book and you can talk about prophetically and as a prophet that we want to speak to the culture, how the culture has departed, this deconstructionism. So we can talk about it prophetically, right? The prophet's goal is for people to repent and to return back to God. So we could talk about this book prophetically, right? We could talk about it apologetically, right? That's an evangelist, right? The ideal, but first sanctify the Lord God in your heart, being ready always to give a defense of the hope that is within you with meekness and in fear, right? The evangelist is wanting to speak to the non-believers, right? The evangelist, the goal is reaching. But we recognize that in this book, the Bible says that it was written to the church, so this book wasn't written to the departed. It was written to those who were affected because of their departure, departing, right? We could look at it didactically, right? And as a preacher and as a teacher, what we do is we want to bring clarity. They must not understand the gospel. Means let's teach them truth. Let's teach them a certain way. Let's believe. And so because the goal of the preacher, the goal of the teacher is clarity. Because if we just feel like if they can just hear right, then they'll act right. Right? And all of these are effective ways to kind of address, and they're all good in their certainties, but as a church and as a, pastoral team, basically, we said, like, we wanted to take these next three weeks and not answer it prophetically and talk into all the issues of the culture. We're not going to even talk about it apologetically and talk about how Jesus is real and, you know, and contending in that way. We're not even going to talk about it primarily, even though we're going to preach it. We're not going to talk about it didactically and just trying to give you greater clarity. What we wanted to do is that we felt like pastorally, pastorally, and a pastor is one who empathizes with the pain. The goal of the pastor is caring. The goal of the pastor is presence. You see, the reality is this. When this letter that was written to the church is a letter that's addressing the ramifications of so many people, the hurt and the pain of so many people. Just this week, right, we heard about another pastor and staff that is being set down again. That in the role that I'm in, it's like almost weekly. People that I've looked up to, people that I've admired, people that, and you know, all the time and just like. And then, you know, and, and the reality is, is that as I look at the stats, they say 40% of pastors are not coming back to the church. 40%. They were just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm looking for another career. We already said almost 40% of congregate, like they finally realized, they're like, hey, you know what? I'm not coming back actually. I was saying that it was about like online and all that stuff and COVID, but just like I'm just, I've just made it, I'm not coming back. Because out of all of them, and all of us is trying to figure out what are we gonna do with the pain and the impact that it has on them, but the impact that it has on us. That we used to run together, that we're no longer running together. The isolation, the loneliness, the pain. Of it, And so the question becomes of how, how are we shepherding God's people? And so when we talk about this passage over these next few weeks, when we talk, when you hear that word contend, don't contend like going into a fight or going into a brawl with someone. Contend like a brother and a sister, like a mom would for her child, like a dad would for his boys. Contend in that way. He says, fight earnestly. Agonize over this. Or agonize over the faith. And finally, I want to end with this. When he calls us to contend for the faith, I want you to contend to be faithful. That's the fight. Contend to be faithful. Faithfulness is not perfection. You will not be perfection. And by the way, this book is not a book that is talking about losing your salvation. We believe once saved, always saved. So we're not talking about losing your salvation. But on the flip side, we got to also say that as I look at your life and as The Bible would say, as I look at your life, does your life bear witness of salvation? So on one end, once saved, always saved. But on the other end, I can't give you confidence of a salvation if I don't see the fruitfulness of your life. So we have to wrestle with this tension. And so ultimately, what it says, contend. Because we have a group of people through a series of progressions, through them departing and through their faith being corrupted, they no longer, they have now started to deny Jesus. How do they deny Jesus? They're denying his word. They're denying his authority. So how do we contend to be faithful to the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all? Three things, contend earnestly to be faithful to the Bible faithful to the scriptures. I love what the Bible says is that the scriptures, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. The Holy Spirit loves using the word of God. It's his ammunition. It's the only offensive weapon. So if we deconstruct and if we decolonize and I can give you scripture examples of people deconstructing and people decolonizing. But when we reconstruct, let's reconstruct with the Bible in the power and the presence of community and the Holy Spirit. So contend earnestly to be faithful to the Bible. Number two, contend earnestly to remain faithful to Jesus. This is not about getting more people to fill up the pews of a church. This is about faithfulness to Christ. Not getting on that slippery slope of denying our Lord and our Savior. So contend earnestly to remain faithful to Jesus. And finally, contend earnestly to remain faithful together. What I love about there is he talks about our common salvation. We, he uses the first person plural. This thing is not meant for you to do alone. That's what the enemy does is that he want to isolate you so he can pick you off. So he can pick you off. See, this is the, the truth, is that when we contend for our faith together, it makes your walk and my walk with Christ better. But it's something that we have to do together. We're family, and it's important for us to remain as family. And so I get the privilege today and in, you know, in our final moments, basically, to talk about someone who has been a part of our family um, the Blueprint family and someone who's been, um, who has given her life to the Lord. And we're going to get a chance to baptize and to get a chance to celebrate um, Annalise. And so she's going to come and make her way. And, and really what I want to say about baptism, baptism is not, this is not um, for Annalise or for anyone who gets baptized. This is not the moment in which they get saved. This is the moment. This is just a public declaration that Christ is our banner. And that he is, is that I've already put my confidence and put my trust in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation. And so today we get a chance to um, to see a beautiful thing of some of a warrior for the Lord um, to give her life to the Lord and make that public declaration before us all. And so there's a video that we would like to show you and then we'll proceed with the baptism.